Hey, it is a, a busy, busy few days here because here in New York we had the retirements of, well, we had a retirement of Eli Manning, we had Derek Jeter, and then now, aside with the sports, we've got a real serious issue on our hands because the coronavirus, yes, the coronavirus, which has just come into play the last few days, is really making uh, its way possibly to the United States. We, I believe, have two now confirmed here in the States, and New York is on watch. And Mrs. Louisa Grieve, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ms. Grieve, you've, you were the Uyghur Human Rights Project, and you're following what's going on in Wunan and elsewhere very closely. What, what can you tell us as an update? Yes, well, this is a, a case where there's panic, uh, throughout China. And one reason is that with any highly communicable disease like this, with such uh, serious, potentially deadly effects, it's a, it's a real public health emergency. Um, and one reason people are panicking more than they ordinarily would is that they suspect the Chinese government uh, is withholding information. So the pattern has been uh, covering up what's happening. Uh, not preparing the public and not preparing even the public health officials uh, so that uh, people don't know who to trust. Rumors run wild. And then, you know, there's another reason uh, that has to do with travel. I don't know if you've been following that. Well, tell yes, the traveling and we're quarantining people as they land in the airports, LAX, JFK. I mean, I'm in New York, so to know that it possibly could be in, in New York City is is very unnerving. Absolutely. So inside China, the entire city of Wuhan, where this started um, just on yesterday, uh, was announced, uh, was it yesterday or Wednesday, that um, all outgoing, basically you can't escape, you're going to be locked in the city, right? All outgoing trains and planes canceled, highways closed, and even city buses. Now, in a sense, that could make sense because you don't want people who could be carrying the disease, and it's asymptomatic for uh, up to two weeks. So no one even knows that they have it. Um, so the idea is, okay, let's wear face masks. It's not so that to prevent you from catching it, it's to prevent you, if you have the disease, from spreading your germs to others. But you can imagine what it's like to try to lock down. You know that city has 11 million people. <laughs> but right. people are still traveling, and all the people who traveled before who don't know they have it, um, and as you say, they're traveling internationally and also throughout China. Now, one other thing is, you know, this is the busiest travel week every year in China, right? 1.3 uh, billion people. It's, it's For the Lunar New it's Year, your, if I'm not mistaken. The right? Lunar New Year, right? And actually, people in New York, you probably see that if you're ever around Chinatown or pretty much near any Chinese restaurant, right? People start putting up the red banners. And I can't even forget, what, what is the year this year? Last year was the year of the pig. I forget what this one is. Well, you know, and they're, so already, the putting, they're already putting barricades up in Flushing because they're going to have a big... Uh, shindig for the Lunar New Year in the next week or so, or maybe even tomorrow. So it's right here yeah, it's in front a, of our it's faces. It's a big celebration. But in China, you know, here we have, um, you know, we have lion dances and we have, uh, you know, par parades and so on. And for, uh, you know, Chinese families have big feasts. Well, in China, it's the one time of year when everybody gets 10 days off from work. And so for a ton of people, especially uh, laborers, you know, villagers, uh, migrants who can't get a real job, they have to go, they're away from their family 50 weeks a year. And so it's their only time. Sometimes they've left small kids behind. So in a country like China, everybody moves around the country. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't look up the statistics. It's millions, hundreds of millions of trips 
in that one week, it's much bigger than, you know, Christmas and um, Christmas and Super Bowl Sunday combined, right? So that's when, when you've got a highly infectious disease, it's, it's a serious problem. And the problem is for, like, American health and all throughout Asia, the disease was known to officials in China starting in November, but we're only hearing about it in January. Uh, I, I don't think that's by accident, do you? Well, it's, although it's not a deliberate, uh, yes, you're right, you're absolutely right. Why? Because it's not a free and open society, right? right. No free press, like the role that from radio, from radio to TV, to newspapers, to blogs, we have freedom of speech and freedom of the press, so that if, if somebody for some reason wanted to evade responsibility and cover up some mistake they made in public health, it wouldn't work. And well, it, it, a whistleblower could be protected. But that's not true in China. It's a dictatorship. People go to jail for huh, being a religious believer. They go certainly go to jail for trying to point out official corruption. Uh, and so it's a closed society. It's just the dangers of, um, you know, when people don't have individual rights and there isn't, aren't checks and balances in the society. Well, I'll, I'll take a step further. So when the Hong Kong protests were going on, there was a video out that they were interrogating someone for bashing the Chinese police. In WhatsApp. So, I mean, they are very serious about people being in line. And it just is strange to me how the protests, and now you're saying this happened in November, those kind of clashed at the same time, yet China didn't take the time to tell us, hey, there are people that might be sick. Instead, they were worried about suppressing those against them, it seems like. Right. They're just worried. Local officials have the incentive to evade responsibility. They don't want to be blamed. Um, and so in general, it means people tend, officials in that society don't tend to take responsibility because um, they're, they never know what's going to happen. They could be easily, uh, they could take the fall and take the blame and be a scapegoat. And so everyone runs around trying to shift responsibility to others. That's a formula for disaster. And so you know, it's, that's why there's so much abuse of power. So I work for a human rights organization, and we see that play out where officials say, I don't want to be the one responsible for, um, you know, not carrying out the party uh, line, which is to suppress uh, illegal religious belief. And so what do they do? They go around beating people up. They throw pastors and their entire families in jail. So it's, it's two sides of the same coin, endangered public health, and then beating up on anyone who um, doesn't, follow the party line and why it's just self-preservation on the part of officials. It's, it's a very insidious system. I think this crisis for New Yorkers, you know, it should be a lesson. <laughs> Treasure your liberties, uh, support freedom of the press. Uh, right. it's, it's worth having not only because it's the right principle, but because it saves lives. It's very weird. Brazil just threw in a journalist in jail recently, and I'm trying to figure out why that happened, because Brazil's usually a free and open society. So that was kind of surprising. But yes, journalists have to be protected. Podcasts have to be protected and bloggers as well because that's more than just, you know, TV and radio. It's a whole bunch of outlets now that we need more protections for. Uh, so while while the Chinese government didn't talk about this or report this, our government, CDC, has been making noise. What can you tell us that they've been saying uh, over the last few days with the coronavirus possibly hitting our, our, our land? Um. <clears throat> Uh, you know, that's something that you may be more up on than I am. I've been focused on what's happening in China. I, I My work is uh, all focused on, on human rights in China. I can tell you, though, there's some international implications, um, that which is that, uh, again, this uh, corrupt and corrosive behavior on the part of Chinese government officials does go all the way to the top. So, for example, in order to preserve uh, 
China, the Communist Party's line on sovereignty, the entire country of Taiwan is cut out of the World Health Organization system. And we, that, that disastrous results for the last major outbreak of a respiratory communicable disease. Um, it's called SARS. Uh, it's an acronym. And uh, a lot of people landed in Taiwan, for example, but because China claims that Taiwan is part of its territory, it won't let the local authorities, the government of Taiwan, join any of the international organizations. Um, I, you know, it, it's true that the U.S. CDC and um, our health bureaucracy actually does look out for the people of Taiwan, um, but it's uh, so obviously the U.S. Pays a, pays a major role because of our expertise, our communications links, and our principles, which is um, the public needs to know, and public health authorities in every other country. So our government has to protect not only Americans, but they actually have to look out for people elsewhere. And uh, let's talk about your project, the Uyghur Human Rights Project. You see these cities now, there are actually 33 million people locked down in 10 Chinese cities, according to the Daily Beast, to stop this virus from spreading elsewhere. What What's your role in this? What will you be doing to help combat the coronavirus and to help the citizens of China that that maybe are being oppressed or are locked down by the government. Yes. Um, so w- working on um, here, I'm an American, uh, and I'm, I've worked. Uh, I, I work now with a, a group that focuses on human rights in China. Why we know that when rights abuses uh, happen in one place and the world ignores it, um, we are in danger that it becomes normalized. And so we want to, you know, we think Americans should always care if people are locked up for uh, being a Christian or being a Muslim in China. What we work on is a tremendous, vast human rights crisis. Two years ago, the Chinese government decided to uh, have preventive punishment and locked up actually over a million Uyghurs. That's a ethnic uh, group, the Turkic ethnic group. They're not even Chinese. Their language has nothing to do with Chinese. It's a Turkic language. It's their own language called Uyghur. And that um, that should have been a canary in a coal mine about the kind of government. Which, there has not been this kind of an ethno-religious roundup since World War II. People are making analogies to um, the horrific uh, roundups by uh, Germany in World War II. And Frankly, it's the same kind of government that can do whatever it wants and develop surveillance technology, surveillance technology um, that tracks people and, and, and uh, locks them up arbitrarily, no trial. Um, I, I really do you know, want everyone to understand these are um, the, the consequences that happen to a group. Well, that's not me. Well, if you say, well, I, I'm not affected, I'm going to close my eyes, um, it puts us all in danger. Well, and you know the the rockets GM tried to put us in in that awareness space of the Chinese government. He got shut down by the NBA. I mean, we've seen these cultural institutions in America uh, really defend Chinese government because they're you know they're in business with them, and that's that's not that doesn't sit right with me. Uh, that even though they're in business, they won't call them out for their their abuses. Absolutely. Uh, it, it really is short-sighted for the NBA um, to basically fall in line with the Chinese government's demands for censorship. You cannot criticize. I mean, where would we be if we had that in America, right? You're not allowed to criticize the mayor of New York. Um, you're not allowed to criticize the health authorities, the way they handle a, a disease outbreak. Um, where does that leave? 
it's really a descent into a very, very dark hell. And so, you know, again, hats off to uh, everyone who, you know, pays attention to what, let's say in your case, you know, matters to New Yorkers. But it, it's not like you can, it, what happens elsewhere doesn't stay there. It does come to New York. So um, absolutely, we, want, we need to ask, uh, you know, if the NBA, it's really un-American, frankly, and very short-sighted for the NBA to sort of say, uh, well, whatever the Chinese government wants, that's right. what we'll do. It's, it's heartbreaking, to be honest with you. Uh, you're with the Uyghur Project, but you've been on other uh, projects as well, the Special Olympics. I'm going to ask you about that because that sounds uh, very, very cool uh, that you were part of that. But uh, And I don't know if you want to get into this, but I feel like with going everything going on in China, for President Trump to try and deal with them and try and get them back into normalcy, which will never happen, but to make these deals, uh, can we really trust Xi that he's going to come through with them, or are we being short-sighted um, with that whole phase one and phase two and trade deals that we're dealing with China with? Are we being short-sighted there as well? Yeah, um, obviously, you know, global trade has led to a lot of prosperity. Um, the latest things out today is just even on the high-tech exports uh, that there's a, a rule now. You have to get an export license if you're an American company to sell any components to this big company, Huawei, right, which makes uh, right. yep, yep. 5G and telecoms and even in other countries they sell phones and tablets they're just like a regular not so much you know, there's not much market for it in the u.s but elsewhere in the world they have huge parts of the market and they do the backbone their switching components are in some of the internet uh infrastructure across the u.s um so there has been some effort um to be balanced which is uh uh, you know, we're not going to have a total trade embargo the way we had with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Um, our American companies' prosperity depends on that, right? People, New York depends on international tourism, and a lot of that does come from China. On the other hand, are we, uh, you know, for political junkies, are we are we selling? Uh, are they selling us the rope? to hang ourselves with when we say, I'm going to earn money by selling chips to some Chinese company. Well, what are the designs of that Chinese company? Is it putting in backdoor spyware in the components that they're selling to our um, networks? And are they uh, developing facial recognition uh, technology to you know, distinguish uh, races? And, and how can that be turned um, to their efforts? Uh, we strongly believe that trade uh, should we should be our, our trade agreements need to uphold the basic principles that allow for free societies. You cannot separate those two issues, and it should be a condition. Uh, we shouldn't be trading with uh, China as long as they're conducting uh, a, you know, having concentration camps. Right. No, I, I hear you on that. Now you've been in China since 1980, and you're speaking out against the government. So, have you had repercussions? Have you had threats? What? What's your challenge has been like living in China since since the 80s? Yes. Oh, I certainly can't go there. I'm an American citizen. Um, it's been sad because I do have some, I actually have distant relatives um, there, but uh, I, I've just not been able to see them at all. But it, what I suffer is nothing compared. I, I want to bring forward to you something that should be fascinating and shocking. So um, I work with a, a Uyghur group right now, and it's, Uyghur Americans. They're, they're born in, in the Uyghur homeland. You know where Tibet is, right? So it's the area north of Tibet. is called the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. 
it's within the borders, current borders of China. Uh, although, again, the Uyghur people see themselves as a distinct people. Basically, they're, they're a nationality, a nation. Um, uh, and so, anyway, they all have China, Chinese passports. Many of them receive threats from Chinese press, uh, police on their phones. And do you know what they say? You need to shut up about criticizing the human rights situation, telling lies or spreading rumors, they call it, about what we know are well-documented human rights abuses, or your relatives will suffer. And that's creep just, you out. This it is does. happening on U.S. soil. And yet, so to the, be honest, it's, oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, and yet they're, 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 they're making China, you know, WHO and all that, maybe not so much WHO, but they're making China out to be like this hero for climate. It's like, are you kidding me? How can you deem them like the number one in climate? This is this is BS. You know, this is that's not right to do that. Actually, even if you're just looking at environmental indicators, uh, my personal opinion, uh, without having published or done any of my own, uh, you know, study, uh, I, I have not uh, published my research. But if the government is trying to cover up and pretend that, that tell the world a false narrative that locking up a million and a half to three million people is, uh, it's just voluntary, it's vocational training, that's what's happening to the leaders, telling the big lie. What makes us think that this environmental statistics that the Chinese government puts out are accurate? Exactly. I'm sure they're not, because I know that it, I've seen the smog in, on pictures and TV. That there's, they're not climate leading anything. They are, in fact, deteriorating because of all the smog they have in China right now. You know, and it's interesting. The smog. Some cities have made progress cleaning up the smog, which has been great. You know, they had a big gain when they switched from burning coal. When I lived in China in the 1980s, there were a couple of power plants. You know, big ones. Already a very big city. Then um, it was eight million people or something like that. Uh, but a lot of people literally burned coal. Very low quality, dirty burning coal, brown coal. And in a major capital city, it was poor. You would go to even in some apartment buildings, I mean, two or three-story buildings, and certainly in the smaller outlying areas, people had no way to keep warm or cook in the winter except, and, and I remember, like, people, <laughs> there would be a cart, somebody would be, you know, run by a bicycle, like a tricycle with a, a, a flatbed on the back, and they'd be delivering this dirty coal. That's all been cleaned up, right? It's been switched to natural gas or um, electric. So you have some gains, but obviously um, there are more cars on the road, and there are I can tell you there is no controls on the emissions there. So something, quote, passes inspection, it's all faked. So there, there's a lot of room for uh, skepticism about any standards and any accomplishments there. Um, so and in that, other words, there were, there were some progresses, but then they were overwhelmed by other changes and other cheating. <laughs> well, and that cheating, I'm sure, has an impact on the coronavirus uh, scare we have now. I'm sure the fact they weren't keeping up the environment as good as they could um, it just is an indication of how poorly they're running the health system as well there. Right. You got it. Exactly. Um, it's, a, it's a general point that people should keep in mind. Um, obviously, it's a huge country. You see beautiful pictures of shining uh, buildings. And uh, honestly, you see some interesting, impressive things out of China. Like, oh, you can pay by your phone anywhere. But there's always a dark side and it's always a slice. You know, there are a lot of people um, living by you know, garbage picking, just like the poorest third, third world country in the world. So no one picture um, tells the whole story. But overall, a crisis like this does tell you that when it comes to 
saving millions of lives, um, as, again, an unfree government uh, is, is not just... Uh, what it's, it's not just suffering of the human soul or human freedom, but people's lives are at stake. You know, I, I also see that you're in the End Transplant Abuse um, Organization in China. Does that have to do with organ harvesting? Is that what you're covering exactly. there? Exactly. I, I know that that is a huge, huge issue right now, continually, and, and no one talks about that. Wow. So how have you heard about it? I've just read it and I've seen different things and I, I investigate as well just because I want to know that that's not happening in America or, or being encouraged in America. I know this is a Chinese issue, but yeah, I worry that that could spread into yeah, America. Well, it's I, I, true. I, I, I chair um, a U.S. committee concerned about transplant abuse in China. Um, having I did study it very closely. Um, I like many people, I think this is like ordinary listeners might be thinking, organ harvesting sounds, first of all, there's the ew factor, a little bit unbelievable, a little bit sci-fi or horror movie. And so when we say transplant abuse, we're trying to bring it back into the realm of medical ethics. So rather than saying, you know, these scare stories, let's look at what the medical ethics system is in China. So very appropriate on this coronavirus health scare, even the pollution, the other things we're talking about. The bottom line is that the government of China has been faking the numbers on how many voluntary organ donors there are, and that's been shown in a peer-reviewed article that did a statistical analysis of the organ donation registries, which in any country with a modern healthcare system and doing transparent work, which is, of course, life-saving, there are really clear ethical rules about transparency. And in the U.S., you can look up literally every transplant operation that happens. There's a whole database open to the public on the internet, um, what organ it was, you know, who the doctor was, what hospital. Obviously, it's anonymized to the individuals, but you might get a donor who has three or four usable organs, right, if they've agreed. And that's all documented. None of that exists in China. So then the question is, even the number of people that are supposedly uh, donors in China, um, it doesn't match the number of operations. And China denies that. But it's right then and there. So what would you do if you're Columbia um, Wheel or Wheel Cornell Medical Center right there in New York, right, Presbyterian, all of these? They just go on and have normal uh, relationships with transplant surgeons in China. So our organization is saying you really need to step back and take a look. Proven violations of basic medical ethics. How can you continue business as usual? We need to put pressure on them. Yeah. Hey, are, so you're in America. Donors, you're in America. What saying, you know, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're in America. So what, what part are you in, by the way, just so there's a little context? Oh, I, I, I work in Washington. Okay. So, and I, I'd love to give a plug for my organization's research work, um, the Uyghur one, the Uyghur Human Rights Project. That's at uhrp.org. UHRP.org, and actually the one that works on the transplant abuse, um, you can look it up under ETAC, E-T-A-C, um, or end organ, uh, end transplant abuse in China. Um, and that, um, the major work on the transplant abuse, um, that organization actually has a one person working on it um, in Australia, and the rest of the people are all volunteers from academics to researchers and uh, human rights activists like myself. Well, that is uh, that is good to know. Say the website one more time, just so my my listeners have have an idea. Right. Uh, you can look up www.ntransplantabuse.org, 
and we can look up uhrp.org. Well, those are those sound like great resources uh, because you know, I think it's important to investigate that when you have loved ones. Um, one of my mom's best friends passed away, and they couldn't, you know, unfortunately they couldn't have the funeral thing until the organs were taken out because she was a donor. Uh, but they did it the right way. And yet, in China, it's scary to think they're doing it an absolutely horrid way. Uh, I I can never bring myself to think that's actually happening, but you're telling us it is. Yep, that's even the title of a really great documentary I recommend for anyone who's interested or or skeptical. It's called Hard to Believe. So if you look up the movie Hard to Believe, um, that It is hard to believe. How could doctors who are trying to save lives say, great, I'll get this organ. Where did it come from? A prison. Oh, great. No questions who that prisoner was. Do they give consent? Were they a political prisoner? Maybe a Christian? Maybe a Uyghur? Maybe a Tibetan? No way of knowing. Um, And it gives an incentive for the government to round people up, uh, have no record of where they are. Are they scheduled for execution? Was it a fair trial? All of that's a mystery. And... um, you know, so we really are pushing, um, and I'd love it. You should. I'd love it if you could do a show where, you know, questioning some medical uh, professionals. Why are they ignoring this major problem in China? And um, you know, we in America, people wait their turn, and it is a tragedy when you know, like your friend's mother, um, wait their turn in line. There's a shortage of organs. We understand that there's, uh, you know, we we want to increase the number of donors, but we don't go around and then lock people up so we can kill them for their organs. It's uh, it's tragic. And I don't know if you get into this as well, because I feel like this might have some sort of impact on the coronavirus spreading and whatnot. But here in New York, in Flushing, we had a daycare worker go absolutely insane um, in Flushing. And, and then it was revealed like that was a birthing hotel. And they're trying to crack down on those. I don't know if you talk about that at all, but there is that aspect as well. And, and do you think that could be impacting the spread of, of coronavirus? Well, the fact is that there are people who um, are traveling from China to the U.S. Uh, on false pretenses in the sense that um, they uh, or there are certainly people who are making Chinese um, expectant mothers pay a lot of money to arrange for them to get to the U.S. and then either overstay their visa or find a way to stay until they can give birth and have their child. This is for the American citizenship. That's the issue you're talking about. Yes. Yep, right? Yep. Yeah. And so anytime you have an under, people underground, um, afraid of the authorities, and then they put themselves in the hands of someone who says, you pay me $6,000, $60,000, I'll take care of you. That's, that actually is a problem you know very well, which is human trafficking. Um, even people who are, you know, they have a good reason to try to come to the U.S., um, fleeing gangs, persecution, wanting their child to have U.S. citizenship, um, uh, and then they, they want to get around the law. And it's a, it's a huge problem for us because there are people who are not only breaking the law, but they're very vulnerable to horrible abuses. And um, these situations like this birthing center is run in a way that um, didn't, you know, didn't allow freedom of movement. And uh, anything that's out of the public eye and kept in a dark corner, of course, is um, we all should be concerned about, both for the victims and because they can pose a threat to others around them. I'm, uh, I'm speaking with Louisa Grieve. Uh, Louisa, thank you so much for spending some time with us today to talk about this because we want to know, and this is my next question, what steps we can do and what the next steps are to prevent coronavirus from truly s- spreading. What what can we do if the governments aren't going to do 
as good as they could. What can we, the citizen, do? Right. Great question. Uh, for sure, um, the advice, of course, when there are prevalent diseases is follow advice about not going to crowds. Secondly, even if you don't have symptoms, um, if you wash your own hands, right, it's partly to protect yourself, but it's also to protect others in case you have a disease and you don't know it. And uh, honestly, you know, what can our CDC's advice we can absolutely follow. So if you wanted to right, read that out to your listeners, um, that's totally trustworthy. And uh, thank goodness we can trust our the public absolutely. health oh, uh, yes. authorities Ab- in our own country. A- absolutely. All right, yeah, so I, I also think that, you know, the typical washing the hands and everything, but I feel like that's much more than that. Uh, even wiping down surfaces. I know you could catch it if you touch like a chair, I was told, um, that that's a way you could catch this coronavirus. So spreading down everything and disinfecting is, is huge when combating this. Absolutely, and again, you're protecting both yourself, your family members, and exactly stopping the spread so everyone... Um, Everyone has a role to play in paying attention to the advice given to everyone. And uh, every, everything we talk about today, combating the transplant abuse, combating trafficking, I mean, this can all help lead to the end of, of the virus. Uh, as far as I could tell, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I feel like if we do our part, that's the way we can end the, the scare and, and the spread of coronavirus into the states. Absolutely. And and future problems, like you're saying, you know, when people are used to, when they don't trust the authorities or they're, you know, forced underground, um, it's it's people being abused, their freedom, um, assault uh, at their campus, and absolutely people who don't get medical treatment when they should, and they're not uh, aware of public health measures. But like you're saying, you know, be sure to disinfect, watch for your symptoms go to uh, get medical care as soon as you see you might have a symptom. All of those things require, I guess, you know, living up to the best American traditions, which is being open and upfront um, and paying attention to the, uh, the realm of free speech. And we will follow your work with the Uyghurs. Uh, are, they, are they faith-based at all? Or do, what, what faith do they practice? Uh, the majority of Uyghurs are Muslim. Um, there is even despite the fact that the Chinese Communist Party, of course, has suppressed religion for 70 years, uh, and party members, for example, have to swear that they don't believe in religion, but that's the cultural background for and, and religious background for um, 800 years, 700 years. Uh, there are some even 800-year-old mosques, um, so there was uh, a long tradition um, of following very moderate form of Islam. Of course, the Chinese government has actually, I don't know if you've heard this, bulldozed mosques in its current campaign of cultural genocide. That's horrible. And and I'm sure they're doing the same to synagogues and, and uh, churches, which is just awful. So please Absolutely. come back and keep us updated on this. I mean, this is a story that won't go away. China will not go away. Their abuses won't go away. And to just keep talking about it is the best thing we could do. And it sounds like you guys are taking action as well. And so thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much for uh, bringing it to your listeners. And Louisa, where can we get you on Twitter? I, I saw it, but I, I'm not remembering the handle right now. Yeah, it's a little hard. So Louisa C. Grieve. So my first name is L-O-U-I-S-A, middle initial C. 
and my last name is T-R-E-V-E. And I would love it if people follow um, Uyghur Project, too. So, unfortunately, that's not easy to spell. U-Y-G-H-U-R Project, all one word. So, Uyghur Project is where we put out our, our research and um, share uh, information about this horrible crisis going on um, in the, the Uyghur homeland of East Turkestan. Well, uh, thank you so much for this information. I'm glad we got you on, and I will definitely have you back because you've got a lot of insights that, uh, that you know, impeachment, no one cares once the word impeachment gets thrown around. No one cares about anything else, and that's also pretty tragic uh, if you ask me. So let, let's focus on the bigger stories, and, and thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks again. I'm Alexander Garrett. We'll talk to you soon.